0: The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Right now, throughout the United States, and in this day, if you will, throughout the world, churches all over the world, believers by the millions, are gathering together to do exactly what we're doing today and for today's specific purpose. This is a Sunday that's been set aside by the evangelical world, To remember, pray for, and understand what is going on in the world around us. That our version, if you will, or our experience of Christianity is unique here. And that what other people deal with is very different. And it's an important thing to do. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though you are in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. And so we as part of the body of Christ come here together to join together to remember and understand not just things in our own nation, but especially things that are going on throughout the world with regards to their faith. Um, Voice of the Martyrs, as I said earlier, is an organization that has kind of led the charge in this for a really long time. And they put together a really short video this year that I want to start out by showing you guys that just gives you a a taste of what some of the experience, some of the things that our brothers and sisters have to consider, um, decisions and possibilities that would never cross our mind, that are on their minds daily. It's a reality that they live under 24-7 that is so foreign to us, but so normal for actually much of Christian history. Um, So let's go ahead and play that if you could. More Christians have been martyred in the 20th century, they're telling us now, than have been martyred or killed for their faith in all the centuries of the world combined. We live in the most heavily persecuted time period for Christians in the world. That seems so foreign for us because we probably live in the most safe and protected environment for Christians that has ever existed in the face of the world. But it is not the experience of the rest of the world. Approximately 105,000 Christians are killed for their faith every year. Currently, it's estimated that between 100 and 200 million Christians are being persecuted worldwide. 70% of the world's population lives in a religiously intolerant environment. Persecution goes on in North Korea, Nigeria, Iran, India, Indonesia, Iraq, Egypt, Syria, Europe, China, the Sudan, the Congo, Maldives, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Guinea, Liberia, Ivory Coast, Tanzania, Libya, Tunisia, Algeria, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal, Kazakhstan, Belarus, Turkey, Lebanon, Colombia, Venezuela, jordan pakistan and in many many other places in the world it's become quite the headline lately because of things that are going on in iraq since our government or our military i should say has pulled out and some of the images that are coming with regards to what's happening in iraq specifically regarding isis who is also active big time in syria are particularly shopping, shocking the first image will you put that up guys These are mass graves of Christians that have been shot and are being buried now in Iraq by ISIS. The next slide. This is children from a Christian school being laid in a mass grave in Syria. These are all within the last few months, by the way. The next slide. This is a Christian leader in Syria who was murdered and tied to a building column as a warning to others in the area. The next one, this is an Iraqi Christian that has been crucified for his beliefs. And even more than that, the next slide, this is a platform built in a city square so that they could crucify multiple people at one time in Iraq, excuse me, in Syria. The next slide here, maybe some of you guys have seen this online. This is an Arabic letter or an Arab letter, if you will. It's the letter N. And this is the symbol that refers to Christians. They they refer to Christians as Nazarenes or those who are followers of Jesus Christ. So in Iraq, in Libya, ISIS has marked and denoted Christian households with this letter. If you show the next slide, you'll see. That here on this house, it looks like a smiley face missing an eye, but that is the letter N. And that's been put there by ISIS to mark that this is a household of followers of Jesus. If that shows up on your household, you have maybe days at most before the army comes back for you. And so you're end up leaving, leaving everything behind. There are many, 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 many houses in Iraq and Syria with this markings on them that are now empty because the families inside were either murdered or had to run for their own lives. And then as you know, the next slide, many of you have been following this story. This is Pastor Saeed. He's been in prison now since 2012 in Iran. He's from, he has family in Iran, and he was there building an orphanage in 2012 when he was arrested and taken into prison, and despite, um, well, it's arguable how many efforts have been made worldwide to get him out, a lot of people have debates on that, but he's still there suffering. There's a big worldwide campaign trying to seek his freedom, and there's many, many, many more. Now, while the headlines, if you will, of Christian persecution in the world today do tend to come primarily out of the Middle East, Christian persecution is not just a Middle East phenomenon. Christian persecution is not also just something that just a few people deal with. We have this tendency to think like the rest of the world pretty much has this whole thing, religious liberty and persecution under wraps, and we kind of have it all figured out what we're doing. If we could just get a few small places to get their act together, then the rest of everything would be fine. But the population of the world has just got these few places we need to get worked out. But just consider just this alone, for example. India and China alone make up some 40% of the world's population and our leaders in world persecution of Christians some 40% by comparison the United States makes just over 4% of the world's population so it's really easy for us to feel like we are part of the normal christian experience even looking back into some of our christian roots in Europe and to think that it's only a few places that just can't seem to get it together but it's not true the reality is we're the weird ones We're the ones that experience a level of freedom and government sponsorship or protection or whatever you'd like to call it that many in the world, not just today, but in the world historically, have not enjoyed. And this isn't just true geographically, but as I said, historically from the beginning. Consider this in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 16. It says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they have gone through all of the towns, Excuse me. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This was Jesus' own words to his disciples, to his followers that said, Look, from the very beginning, understand that following me is going to put you absolutely at odds with the rest of the world. And they're going to pursue you. They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to chase you down. Fathers, children against fathers. And then Paul's words to Timothy himself said this in 2 Tim, Tim, Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that again. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this may not have been the norm for much of our experience in Christianity in the United States. But as that great theologian Bob Dylan has sang... Gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. And if your time is worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a-changing. We're watching the culture even in our own nation, a place that's been a defender of democracy and of religious liberty throughout the rest of the world begin to crumble even underneath our own watch. Now this is a topic that's come up before and it's worth mentioning. As I shared with you guys uh, several weeks ago, In the early days, we know, we kind of have this idealistic view, if you will, of the early church. We have this tendency to go back to the book of Acts and think that that's the church that had it all together. And they were the ones who didn't have issues. They didn't struggle with things. They pretty much had their whole act together. And if we could just go back to be like the early church was, we would have it all figured out. The only problem with that is we usually aren't reading the book of Acts when we actually say those things. Because when you read the book of Acts, you understand that these were a bunch of Christians led by the Spirit, just trying to figure things out the best they could, just like us. And they were riddled like, by problems, just like us. And they went through great persecution as well. In fact, actually, if you were to ask people, what is the time period that you would consider as being the most significant time of Christian persecution in the world, most people won't think of our actual day and age, especially people in America, because we think of the idea of upholding religious liberty and rights. And so most people will go back to that day, and they'll point to the early church, and they'll say that this is when the most significant persecution went on, and it it was significant. In the early church, for example, you have Stephen, who was killed for his faith by the Jews in Israel, called a blasphemer against God. You have Paul, formerly Saul, who is chasing like a, literally like a bloodthirsty animal intent on wiping Christianity off the face of the earth. But then something happened in, in AD 64. There was a great fire in the city of Rome. And two-thirds of this city of, the, of Rome burned to the ground. This is when Emperor Nero was in charge. And after the city burned, Nero instituted a new urban renewal program. Everything's burnt, so let's just build all these new things. And he started building this grand architecture all over the place. And rumors started spreading around all over the place. Hey, he set these fires on purpose. He was the one who wanted to burn all this stuff down anyway so he could go in with this construction plan and this rumor began to spread. It really began to to get traction throughout the Roman kingdom, the Roman empire. Nero needed a scapegoat and he found one in Christians because of the different wards, the different sects of the city of Rome, the areas that happened to survive the blaze just happened to be more predominantly Jewish and Christian than any of the other areas and so he found an easy scapegoat and he said, it's the Christians that started all of this. Let's get them. And so what started was a significant period of Christian persecution, but it was really a legal issue at first. He had thrown Christians under the bus and so Christians were arrested and given to the animals, fed to them, for, or, or just straight up killed and murdered, but not because of religious beliefs. It started out as a legal issue. They were being arrested and murdered for arson. But, as time went on, and as following emperors came in, men such as Diocletian and others, the, the actual um, uh, persecution that took place wasn't a legal issue anymore; it became an actual religious one. The Roman emperor or Roman Empire, I should say, was actually tipping, and it was beginning to fade away it had Fallen a great deal from its earlier powers. And so, when these Roman emperors saw the glory of Rome not being what it used to be, they began to blame the Christians as well. They said, See, we turned our back on our gods, and this is what's happening to our country. So, we need to deal with these Christians and with Jews that were in the area at the time. We need to wipe them out and go back to what our roots actually were. And so, Christians were rounded up all over the Roman Empire, even into northern Africa. And they were told, you either disregard God, you avow that you're not Christian anymore, hand over any scriptures and things that you have, and then you burn offerings of incense to the Roman gods, or you will be murdered. And this went on for a good period of time until Emperor Constantine took over. And when Constantine took over, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the world went through a dramatic shift into a period of time referred to as Christendom. And it was a challenge because many of the church leaders earlier on, they actually embraced persecution. People would even tell them, like if a, if a preacher was arrested and he was being taken to Rome to be killed for his faith, many of them, such as the and others, would say, don't fight for me. Don't defend me. Stay away. This is fine. I, th- what greater honor could I have than to experience the sufferings of Christ and to die as a martyr for my faith? following a Savior who gave his life for me. And so many were going willingly to their death during that time. But when Constantine took over and the edict of Milan was put forth and suddenly Christianity was allowed, it was even the religion, if you will, of the state. The Christian leaders were like, There's, here's this persecution that has purified our church. This is how we absolutely like, show our unending dedication to Jesus. This has been good for us in a lot of ways. It keeps out the lukewarm, fake Christians. And now this is gone, and so how do we suffer? How do we go through this? How? I mean, they were so embracing the suffering and persecution at that time that they really struggled with what are we going to do now? This is where monks and monasteries came from. They said, then we'll withdraw from the world and we'll go do that. But there was such a desire to want to suffer for Christ. And the big question they had was what will Christianity look like now that it is becoming the power faith of the world? When it's no longer hiding in houses, but now it's in palaces. And when it's no longer a group of people in a living room, poor and destitute, but now it's in these amazing, I mean, churches that look like palaces. What will it look like then? Well, that was the age of Christendom. And we are in a very similar time, though the other way around now. I firmly believe this, that we are now at the end of Christendom. It's been referred to as we are on the the precipice or the beginnings, if you will, of what's referred to as the post-Christian era. And so instead of us as Christian leaders looking at the world and going, okay, so what's the world going to look like now that Christianity has power and influence and opportunities? Instead, we stand at a point in history, and in particular in our nation, where we are looking at it and going, what is Christianity going to look like in the next 40 years now that we're losing our influence and power and ability the way we've been so blessed by God to have oh so many years? This is the post-Christian era. What will Christianity look like? And what's coming? What is this going to look like? Jesus said, for example, in Matthew 24, verse 9, speaking of the last days, he said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and they will put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And Paul taught Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, at the very beginning of the passage I've already read before, that said, understand this, in the last day there will come times of difficulty. That same word can also be translated persecution. So the growing persecution of the Christian church is something that the scriptures point to as a sign that we should be ready, that understand this is coming. As we get closer to that time when Jesus Christ comes in glory and in power and sets things right, ends sin, ends wickedness, ends death, ends all of these things, as we get closer to them, we're told it's going to get worse before it gets better. And persecution, in particular, is one of them. So when we understand that the world around us right now, Christians are being persecuted more in the world today than ever before in history, there should be that little part of us that takes hope, amen, that maybe our Savior is closer today. Could be today. But for many people, their lives right now are marked by it could be today that the soldier busts through the door. It could be today that the army comes through and kills us for our beliefs. This is the experience of many of our brothers and sisters. We say that, brothers and sisters, but it would be good for us to understand that when Christ died for our sins, the scriptures say we've been adopted into the family of God. And so there is a sense in which the brotherhood that we have with that woman in Syria the, the fact that she is our sister is actually more real and more lasting than any family ties we actually have here on earth today. And so we ought not take that word lightly when we say that there are brothers and sisters of ours overseas that are struggling. They are our family. And this is the life that they live. And so I think as we approach this kind of age, it faces us to consider things even here in our own nation. Oh, I don't know that America will, God forbid, ever become the kind of nation that's putting crucifixion stations in the city squares. But I'm telling you right now, in the very near future, and I mean very near, it's going to start costing us more to follow Jesus. Oh, it may not cost us life here in America, but it's going to cost us friends. Some of us have already experienced that. There's people in our country right now that are, it's costing them their job. To say that they're standing up for the principles and the beliefs and the Savior that the scriptures teach us of. And so for us too, while it's nothing right now compared to what our brothers and sisters overseas are dealing with, it does force us to stop and think about the fact. Jesus said things will get worse. So with that in mind, there are a couple of things I want to point out to you from the word this morning regarding persecution that I think will inform us in a large way and comfort and encourage us in an even bigger way. The first comes from the book of Revelation. If you'll put that text up. In the book of Revelation, chapter 6, it says this. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. These are the Christian martyrs. These are those who have been slain, who have been murdered specifically because of their belief in Jesus. And verse 10 says, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then there were each given a white robe and they were told, look at this, to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. Say, Jeff, I thought you were gonna share something encouraging. Imagine the scene. Polycarp, that famous martyr, who when told to recant his faith said, this Lord has sustained me for 86 years, how could I possibly turn my back on him now? The apostles, all of them, the apostle Paul, all of these men who have given their lives because they refused to turn away from the Lord who had gone through so much on their behalf are gathered together in heaven and they are pouring out their hearts as they are aware that more and more are enduring persecution in earth still. And they're saying, Lord, how long? How long will you let this keep going? How many more people are gonna die because of ISIS? How many more people are gonna die in the Sudan? How many more people are gonna be persecuted? How long? And God's response is, a little bit longer, rest a little longer, there's more of you coming. At first, that doesn't sound comforting at all, but I think of it even as they refer to God. In that prayer to them, they say, oh, sovereign Lord. And so here's something I know. When I see this stuff When you, and I'm begging you, please take of these materials on these tables out there so you can learn about your family and what they're dealing with. But as you read these things, it should break our heart when we see what people are going through, but it does not shake our trust because God is sovereign over ISIS. Amen? God is sovereign over Islam. God is sovereign over every ounce of persecution It is achieving his purpose in a way we cannot possibly imagine. And God is bringing good out of the wickedness and evil that exists in the world. And God has a plan. Even as we see persecution growing, we look into the scriptures and realize, yeah, but that's even what Jesus said was going to happen before he comes and takes care of all these things once and for all. And so we don't have to despair or we can cry out with tears and be brokenhearted for whoever this was in this house that it was either killed or had to run. But we don't have to despair because God is bigger by a mile than anything going on in Iraq or Syria. He is sovereign over all things. Amen? But number two also, take a look at this. How long, O Lord, they say, until you come? And he says Just a little bit longer. Now while on one end that means not yet, on the other end it means but it's coming. It's coming. Guys, there is a day coming when Jesus will avenge the deaths of our brothers and sisters. This is not some sort of weak, limp-wristed Christianity that just goes, well, we'll just suffer and turns away. Oh, you better believe the blood of the martyrs is being counted by our sovereign king. And there will come a day when he will absolutely avenge the death of those who love him. He does not turn his back on wickedness. He gives grace to those who repent, but to those who refuse, he's coming. He's coming. And there will be a day that this will be dealt with. And they will no longer cry out, how long, O Lord? But they will see justice rain down from heaven on all who are killing the children of God. He is the king and these are his adopted kids. And you better not think for one second, he's not aware of that. He's coming. He's coming. Amen? He's coming. But as we wait for that day, let's consider one last thing. In the book of Acts, if you'll put this scripture up, there's this amazing story that happens right after the death and persecution of Stephen, the first of the Christian martyrs. It says in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says this, and Saul approved of his execution. Now who's Saul? That's Paul. That's the guy who wrote 2 Corinthians. The book will be back in just next Sunday the apostle that God used to write most of the New Testament. First is the terrorist. He's the one going through and systematically trying to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And so Stephen comes, this saint who is so Christ-like, so God-like in his appearance, even as he's being brutally stoned to death. When they see this man who looks so much like Jesus and acts so much like Jesus and They just cannot handle it. And so it says in verse 1, Saul approved of his execution, that's Stephen, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So Stephen is stoned to death and the city is thrown into an uproar. They cannot handle this man who has spoken the truth of the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is, who they themselves had just killed. And so from that moment on, they go, let's get them all. And a persecution raises up inside Jerusalem, and it goes on to say, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Do you see ISIS in this? Like this is what we're talking about. This persecution comes and Christians are being scattered everywhere. And here's Saul going from house to house. You can picture him with his spray can. Looking for Christians in every single household and they're scattered. But then look what it says. This is the most amazing verse if you'll notice it in verse 4. And now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, Now you may not notice it so much right away. It's the English translation, I feel, does this verse, no real justices. But imagine this. I want you to track with me in this. Let's let's make this more personal so we can understand what's really going on here. I say we're gathering here in Medford, Oregon, and Christianity has just been outlawed. And all the pastors in Medford, Oregon, every one of us, is gathered up by the leaders in this city and brutally executed for our beliefs. And from that moment on, armies, National Guard, police, whoever it is, starts going house to house, door to door, through Medford, Oregon, putting the tags on the homes, looking for Christians, throwing them in jail, beating them, murdering them, like, like imagine that's really happening right here. And in response, you gather your family. You're not willing to refute Christianity, you're not gonna leave Jesus, but there ain't nothing in the Bible that says we have to live in Medford, right? So you scatter and you're gone. You're leaving everything behind. You jump in your car and pff, you are gone. You have left your home. You've left your property. You've left homesteads that's been in your family for decades. You've left your jobs. You've left other friends, everyone. You're gone and you're into Utah. You're into Montana. You're into all these different other surrounding states looking for refuge, looking for a place to go with no home, no prospects, didn't even have time to get all your money out of the bank. You've got what you've got and that is it. When you get to those places, what's the story you would tell? Because if you'll put that scripture back up there, verse four of Acts chapter eight, consider what it says. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. You know what the literal translation in there is? When it says preaching, that word could be more accurately translated gospeling. It means they were declaring good news. And the word speaks of the gospel and so here's these people driven out of their homes driven away from family remember not everyone has converted yet you're talking about leaving family behind which in the jewish culture is unbelievably important you're leaving everything behind you've just watched some of your leaders murdered brutally and now you're scattered all over the place in a day this happened in a day And you go into the next city, you go into Samaria, you go into all these other places seeking refuge, trying to find a safe place to land, and you're telling everyone, good news. Are you kidding me? That's bad news, right? Wouldn't you go rolling into Montana saying you will not believe what just happened to us? What's going on in Oregon is wrong. It is unacceptable. It is horrible. But that's not what they did. You know why? Why? Because these are the people that also saw the risen Jesus Christ. These people understand (laughs) you want my house? Take it. You want my car? Take it. You want my life? Take it. I have the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Messiah has come, and He's adopted me into His family, and He's forgiven me of all of His sins. And he's given me life everlasting. You can't touch me. Oh, you can take my life here, but you're just ushering me into heaven where I'm reunited with my risen Savior even faster. And that is good news. And they went wherever it was that they were scattered. These aren't people that are just cheesy, ignorant Christians that just like, whatever, bad things coming. No, these are people that were so desperately in love with Jesus and had such an absolute understanding of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They held on to nothing else And knew that they knew that the Jesus that they had was more than enough. That was all they needed. Are you there yet? Are we there yet? Some of us have experienced versions of this. Maybe not in persecution. But there's been times in our lives where things have come down the pipe. Where God allowed certain comforts structures, relationships, health, whatever it was, to be removed. Where cancer came, and there was nowhere else to go but to Jesus. When wives left, or husbands left, and there was nowhere else to turn but Jesus. Some of us have been through those sorts of things, right? Where these comforts of the world and the securities of the world get stripped away, and we realize, All we have and all we need is Jesus. We've experienced that as individuals before. But that could be what's coming now for the church. It could be that the Lord's going to allow the direction that we see, the things we fear with regarding to religious liberty in America, for example, to continue to be stripped away. It could be that God allows those things so that we understand that all we need is Jesus Christ. What story will you tell? Are you at that place yet? Now, here, here's the good news. Here's the good news. I don't think they were there till it happened either. I don't think anyone's like, man, I'm ready. If you kill my kids tomorrow, I'm still going to worship Jesus. I believe with all my heart that is a grace that comes from God in the moment. This is not about some self-effort. Let's pump ourselves up and get so pro-Christian that we don't care what comes. Where That's not the reality. I mean, Jesus even says in Matthew 10, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, speaking that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say. It's like, don't build your script. Don't start preparing now. It's not about self-effort. I've got to become a Christian strong enough that I can deal with those. That is the grace of God. And if you think about who the apostles were before the Holy Spirit came upon them and gave them that kind of strength, Before Jesus had been risen from the dead, before they came to that place by the grace of God, they were were what? They were scattered. They were hiding, waiting on the knock at their door next, that they would be the next, just like Jesus, to be killed. But God gives grace to people in those situations. The woman we saw in this video, that was a real letter from a real woman, a real Christian family in Syria. God gives grace, I believe it with all my heart, in those sorts of situations. But... Till we get to that point, or in considering our brothers and sisters overseas, what do we do with those things until then? I'm going to give you three quick things and we're done. Number one is this, Jesus taught his disciples to live a life that was dependent on him before the hard times came. If you look at how Jesus instructs and teaches his disciples. So he takes the apostles together. We just saw the text where Jesus pulls his disciples together and he says, look, I'm sending you out in the world as doves in the midst of wolves or sheep in the midst of wolves. You're going to face persecution. He's talking to his disciples and he's doing it at the time that he's sending them out to do ministry. And in those same things, what are the other things he tells them? Stuff like, don't take your money. Don't take your stuff. You are going to go and you're going to be completely dependent on me. You're going to be completely dependent on the Holy Spirit as you go and spread the gospel everywhere. You go into Matthew 6. What does he say? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about how you're going to be clothed. God knows you have need of those things already, but do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Jesus was continually teaching his followers, you depend on me. You need nothing else. If everything is taken from you, you have me. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The Scripture is full of this. The understanding and the reality that we only need Jesus. And that is so hard for us to understand sometimes in a culture where we have so much. But you ask those that have been through stuff. You ask the people that cancer has come for. You only need Jesus, and nothing else will support you. Number two, I believe this with all my heart, that we need to operate within the civil structures that God has given us. I'm not going on a political rant here, but I will say this. If you watch the world, if you watch the things that are happening, whether it be erosions of religious liberty in America today, or the things going on here in Iraq and Syria and those places, if you're watching that stuff happening and you disagree with it, you don't want it to be, but you're not voting or not participating in the civil structures that have been given, I don't understand you. How do you do that? God has given us a wonderful opportunity, and as believers, we should. Some people get mad about this. Oh, the preacher's talking politics. It's not about politics. This is about the fact that you've been given a vote that you can use to protect your brothers and sisters that are being murdered for their faith. Use it, I'm begging you. Young people, do it. I'm begging you. And pray for your leaders. Pray for your cities. In Jeremiah it says, you will find peace as you pray for those who lead your nation. Pray for our president. Pray for our governors. Pray for the elections that are coming. Because it's not no big deal. I and mean, people die. And we need to pray and participate and take advantage of the opportunity that God has given us here in this nation, amen? And thirdly, this, we just pray. We just pray for God to move, because he does. Because, you know, we look at this and we think, oh, those poor people, what are we gonna do? And a lot of times we think, as Americans, we're the ones that gotta fix it all, and it might be. God has used us to do those sorts of things before. It's not what he did in the early church, though. In the early church, he grabbed one of the terrorists, didn't he? Paul, murdering Christians, persecuting them, known as a terrorist amongst Christians in that day, trying to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. He met a sovereign God who rules over all things, who can turn the hearts of kings like channeling the flow of a river, Psalm says, and he took him down. And then he uses the man... Who was the lead terrorist, if you will, to write 2 Timothy that teaches us how to approach persecution and get through it by the grace of God? That's amazing. Amen somewhere. <laughs> That's amazing, right? So God has sovereignly worked. So so maybe I was just hearing Matt Chandler talk about this very thing not long ago. Maybe we should pray that God will rise up a Paul out of ISIS. He can. He's done it before. You look at the stories of heroes that rose up out of Germany and the persecutions that were going on against the Jews there. God can do these things. So we pray for God to move. We pray that God will powerfully convert and that even when he does not that these people who have to leave their houses are going into the next city telling good news. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth more than their political freedom or their personal safety. And we pray that we realize that. That we, that we understand it and respect it and maybe change what seems like the stem or the, the way things are going in our culture today. But even if it's not, that we pray that God, will you prepare my heart? Will you, will you weed away, Lord, my affections for things that are just gonna set me up and let me down? And help me to understand, along with all of your disciples of old, may your Holy Spirit come upon me in this very season that I might learn and understand to a degree that I never thought possible that all I need is Jesus. And if I lose everything else, I've lost nothing. But I have gained the world. At this time, we're going to take an opportunity to pray for our brothers and sisters overseas. And I'm going to do something, I'm going to ask if, if many of you will, if you're not physically able or whatever, I understand, but I think it would be good for us to get out of our comfort for just a moment. Will you go to your knees with me, and let's pray for our brothers and sisters before we close in worship. Lord, you are mighty to save. You are an awesome God. You are powerful and mighty. You have been in control of all of history from before time even began. Wickedness is nothing before you. You have within your person, Lord, the ability to do whatever seems right. And God, you have called your people to come before you, to bring our cares to you. So God, we entreat you on behalf of your children and our brothers and sisters overseas. God, will you protect them? Will you spare them? Lord, if it be your will, will you end the persecution that goes on in each of those nations and so many more? Lord, we desire and pray that, Lord, all of your children might be able to worship you freely without fear of death and brutality. But more than anything else, God, we pray that they and us would see you as being all sufficient, that whatever persecutions or trials or difficulties might come, that you would sustain us by your grace. I pray, God, you would strengthen them overseas. People who are laying in their bed afraid even right now, God, will you strengthen them by your Holy Spirit and comfort them to know that they have a good Father who is in control of all things. I pray, God, that you would work in the hearts and souls of mothers and fathers as they teach their children about what's going on and help them, Lord, to be able to understand the realities, the horrors, but the goodness of God who is above them all. I pray, God, you would be with pastors. Give them, Lord, exacting words, Lord, to their congregations as they're dealing with difficulty and hardship. I pray, God, you would help them to teach their people in a way that honors you, encourages and comforts them, but also prepares them for the things that are coming. And I pray, God, you would give all of those churches there, Lord, a willingness and a heart to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we are all fallen, and yet, by your grace, you have poured out your love and mercy on those who would call out on your name. And I pray, God, that you would do a revival, that, Lord, what Satan means for evil, you would turn to good. I pray, God, that you would, by your grace, save more Christians than ISIS could possibly kill. That your gospel would flow through that place like a mighty river in dry land. I pray, God, that people would come into contact with believers whose faith with you is sincere and real in the face of persecution, that they would understand where their help comes from, that there would be a ready answer in that season. And I pray, God, that you would use the very persecution that Satan is trying to use to kill those made in your image, and you would use it to raise up more Christians than he ever thought possible. I pray, God, for our nation. I pray for our leaders. We are so blessed and so thankful for the gift of the religious freedom you've given us, Lord. For the opportunity to learn about you in peace. For the opportunity to grow, to learn of your grace, to read and buy your Bibles freely, all of these things, God. I thank you that we live in a country where you can go into a hotel room and find a Bible sitting there while others are being murdered for owning one. And I pray, God, that our leaders would never allow that to change. I pray, God, you would protect this nation, not just for its own safety and comfort, but that you would be able to use this nation to rise up and protect those that are being killed for their faith worldwide. I pray, God, for a revival amongst not just the people of America, but the leadership of America, too. That you would raise godly gospel men up who are willing to stand up and fight for injustice and quick to bend a knee in grace to share the love and mercy of Jesus with others. And I pray that would start with our very president, Lord, and then our generals, our governors, our senators, our congressmen. God, will you even this very day as churches all over the world are praying for these things, God, will you touch their hearts? Will you give them a spirit-endowed sympathy for those who are hurting? I pray, God, for us here. That even if things, it may be years and years, if at all, before things change to any of these sorts of degrees here. But God, may you rise up in this church a willingness to follow and honor you and to rely on you above all. Will you help us not to depend on comforts or governments or anything else above you? Lord, may it be true that nothing we desire compares to you. Lord, will you replace our affections for things that will set us down and allow us, Lord, to turn our hearts towards you? Lord, even all of us now, we can think of things probably that we've set before you. Idols, temptations, passions. God, will you recapture our hearts? Will your spirit blow amongst your people? Reignite, Lord, the fire that came to us when we were saved. Will you save more? Will you add to the church, globally and locally, Lord, will you do a revival in this very valley? Lord, I just pray for every one of us that you would give us a heart and a reminder to pray for our brothers and sisters. But in spite of all these things, Lord, we also before you, before we stand, Lord, we we just thank you for the reality that we serve a sovereign God, that we can bring these prayers to you with a concerned heart, with genuine worries and fears, Lord, but we can leave them at your feet knowing that you are good, That you are in control of all things. That you do all things well. That you will, Lord, avenge the death of those who have died for your name. That you will defeat evil. That Satan will not roam free forever. That everything, be it ISIS or cancer, will be removed. And that one day, face to face, we will see our risen Savior. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved a wretch like me. Jesus, let's stand and sing.